politics? Well, the good news is that uh, after the, the sort of rather unfortunate experience with, with Diana and with uh, Naomi Watts, this is basically, if you can imagine, the polar opposite of that film. That was a film that took a true story and turned it into a sort of tatty soap opera that seemed to have been lifted directly from the pages of Hello! magazine. This goes completely the other way. It is described as a fable from a true tragedy. It's directed by Pablo Lorraine, who made uh, Jackie, which obviously this is kind of a thematic companion piece because there are, you know, there are similar... I mean, obviously, the great difference is, but there are similar situations between the two central uh, female characters. It's written by Stephen Knight, whose credits include Dirty Pretty Things, Eastern Promises, um, and Hummingbird, incidentally, which is the great underrated Jason Statham film, which I keep saying is my favourite Jason Statham and one of my favourite Jason Statham films. Anyway, it plays out over a confined period. Um, the One of the things that's really fascinating about it is that that phrase, a fable from a true tragedy... The film is rooted in stuff which is true, but it is it is invented. It is an invention. It is a fiction. But for all its invention, it feels very truthful. And I think the reason for that is, well, there are many. The first one is I think that Kristen Stewart is brilliant. I mean, I think she's a great actor anyway, but I think she's so good in this. It's not to do with capturing mannerisms that make you think that's a good impression. I mean, I've... You know, I've heard uh, Anthony Hopkins was talking about playing Nixon and saying it's not a matter of doing an impression of somebody. It's a matter of giving an impression of somebody whilst playing the character yourself. And Kristen Stewart has always been brilliant at accents, but what sh what's great about this performance is the physicality of it. You mentioned, incidentally, at the end of that interview, you mentioned the dance sequence. The last time, I mean, Pablo Lorraine came on the programme during lockdown to talk about Emma, which, of course, is a movie in which dance is central to the narrative. And it's really interesting that at a certain point in the narrative of Spencer, the film actually does move into a, you know, a dance montage in which the, everything that's, be, be, that's to do with the physicality of the performance and everything which is to do with the, the musical fluidity of the movie come together in this really unexpected way. And um, and then that then kind of that elevates it to uh, to another level. So firstly, I think her performance is great, and I think that the musicality works really really well. Secondly, it feels truthful because there are things like the weaponization of food, um, which kind of becomes a central theme of it. At the very beginning, you know, you said at the beginning when you, you when you first went to see it, you weren't sure in the first five minutes whether you were in the right film. Yeah, first ninety seconds, two two minutes particularly, I was just thinking because there's there isn't a title sequence or anything, and I thought it was some strange, maybe it was going to be a horror movie or some yeah. kind of mystery thriller. And you see all these kind of these these things which look like they're boxes of munitions, yes. but actually it's the food being brought into them. And then Sean Harris doing that fantastic, you know, once more onto the bridge, and he is he is brilliant. Um. And the film, I think, brilliantly captures that idea that she has been put in a position in which her, her agency and her identity has been stripped away from her. And her relationship with food is torturing in this particular circumstance. And I thought the film did a really good job of explaining what that would feel like to be in a situation in which... I mean, one of the things that Claire Rutherford, who's a cinematographer, does is brilliantly capture the idea of people looking at you, people watching you do something, people, you know, and somehow the way in which this pierces to the heart of what's actually happening in the rest of her world, I thought that was handled very sensibly. I mean, it's very, you know, it, it doesn't shy away from those subjects at all, but it tries to place them within a kind of psychological context, which is to do with with a much, you know, a much wider 
kind of general issue, which is to do with the removal of her agency, that she is not able to be who she is because she just becomes a cog in a machine, which is not something that she wants to do. There are times that the screenplay can be a little too... I use this phrase incorrectly. When I say on the nose, I mean a little too direct. And there are things like there's a, there's a, there's a running metaphor about pheasants being, you know, they're beautiful birds, but not very bright, and they are bred to be shot. And actually, very, very early on, we see a shot of a, you know, pheasant being, you know, going under the wheels of, a, of an armoured vehicle. And that stuff, okay, that feels like a little front foot, if you want. But for most of the time, what this film is doing is offering a, com a completely coherent internal psychological portrait of somebody within a confined period of time, within a confined space, that on the one hand plays as a ghost story. I mean, it is a ghost story. Obviously, you know, you talked about Anne Boleyn there, but the film is a film haunted by ghosts. It is a film haunted by the ghosts of the past and haunted by the ghosts of the present. There's a the thing about in this house, you know, past and present are the same thing and there is no future, which is almost the kind of the the compressed, distilled version of what a ghost story is. I thought you were going to do some Sex Pistols there just for a minute. No, I think the no future thing is, and incidentally, because I did talk to Pablo Lorraine and I said, when you heard that line, no future, did you think Sex Pistols? And he said, I did, but I haven't asked Stephen Wright whether that's what he thought. Okay. But it's you don't say no future in a film about the royals without the ghost of Johnny Rotten in mm. the background. And then the other thing, of course, is the music by Johnny Greenwood is fantastic. And the best way of describing it is it's like a string quartet goes to hell. It's got, on the one hand, this kind of very um, orchestrated Baroque, you know, sort of string quartet beauty. And then this kind of then changes and slides into freeform jazz, which kind of captures the inner anxiety of the central character. And then there are these kind of horror movie, and there are horror movie inflections. There's a thing that happens when you hear two strings like going, like creaking against each other in a way that really feels like this is turning into a ghost story. And there is one section, in fact, there is a, a very specific section, moonlight, mist. You know, we could almost have walked into a scene from the others. And I think that Johnny Greenwood's score brilliantly brings all those things together. So, terrific central performance. Very good script, if occasionally too on the nose in what I mean by on the nose. Brilliant central performance. Sally Hawkins, who you mentioned, does a great job of taking a role that actually, if somebody else had played it, might have gone completely wrong. And Sally Hawkins takes it and, and turns it into something that becomes a kind of a, a symbol of, you know, love and heartfelt, you know, there's this central thing, what you need is love, what you need, it, which is a kind of which is sort of, in a way, the, the kind of the, the, one of the central themes of the movie, that what you need is love. I thought it was... I was really impressed by it. I was really... And I've seen it twice. And both times I've thought, this is really very good. <laughs>